Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. episode of the Just Baseball Show, and we have a rare Thursday edition of the Mailbag. I'm Aram Waiten. He's Peter Apple, and you know sometimes you got to adjust the schedule for Pete Flaherty. We did that. The college baseball, the college World Series episode was a banger. Definitely go check that out. But you and I, we, we got to do the Mailbag. You and I look forward to this. Every time we hang up off the Mailbag episodes, you and I are like, Man, that was fun because everybody gives us such good questions. So this is no different. You and I get together. We're pumped to do the questions and we got a lot of good ones, Peter. We have a lot of great ones. And this episode is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. So when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account, download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If it loses, if the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER if you have a gambling problem. Must be 21 plus or older to do it. Yes, this is my favorite episode of the week. I also love asking you about the prospect report, but that's every other Wednesday. But we had to fit the mailbag in, and we also have to fit in a smidge of time. To talk about the best team in baseball, the team who has not lost. Like your favorite team has probably lost in the last eight games. Not the A's, not the Oakland A's, not the juggernaut A's, not the A's that I said have a slightly below average offense. Let's yeah. not forget about that. No. You said they're a must see TV, basically. <laughs> they are. And you were right. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, you also predicted that 
they would have the most incredible fan interaction that we've seen in a game ever. Like, no, but seriously, that game was, by the way, was just so much fun. I, I won't pretend I watched the whole thing. It, it, but the fact that that whole event, what we had going on there, and for those who, who don't know, like, it, what what's the best way to categorize this thing, Peter? It was basically a reverse boycott in the effort of Oakland fans to show, hey, we exist. Hey, this is a good baseball market, but like anything, like any product, if the product is trash, the market will not be very eager to, you know, go spend money and 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 go watch or consume or whatever the product may be. The product is absolute garbage. We know that. Uh, I, I admire the A's players for working hard and, and grinding and, and competing. But at the end of the day, a lot of these guys probably wouldn't get big league opportunities elsewhere. That's not the point, though. The point is that we saw a bunch of Oakland A's fans show out in unison. What was it? 28,000 nearly that mm-hmm. showed up to this ballpark on a Tuesday night. Right. Was it a Tuesday night for a Shintaro Fujinami opener to Hogan Harris? Well, Take it on Jalen Beeks. Well, by the way. Hogan Harris was was lights out, by the way. Lights out. Seven um, innings, four hits, one earned. And it was so great. They raised a bunch of money for charity. And even the Oakland A's pitched in, said that they were donating all the proceeds that they got from ticket revenue to charity as well. Just a great event. And it was actually was dope, really cool. By the way, sorry to cut you off, but before I forgot, that was dope because I was think the first thing that went into my cynical mind was like, Oh, this this asshole, you know, John Fisher is going to now profit off of this reverse boycott. Like, screw you. He's going to make more off off this game than he did in several months. But no, it really is great on the A's for doing that. And that was the right way to approach it, to give back to the community that's trying to fight to keep the team while they're still going to probably move the team out. It was a nice gesture, all things considered. But I just it, this is just everything that baseball like embodies is cliches and pull out all the cliches. It was storybook. It seemed like it was a, an episode or a part out of like a chapter out of major league. Like it just seemed too like too perfect. And the fact that they won that game too, the fact that it's in the middle of a winning streak and the fact that they did it against the best team in baseball. Like if this was an episode of Ted Lasso or whatever it would be, like you'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is very, you know, this is very sitcom-y. Like this is not really a, a real thing that would happen, but it did. They fed off the crowd. The crowd was awesome. And Hogan Harris shoved. <laughs> That's the reality of the situation. The A's continue to win and – Fans showed up and they proved again that it's not it's not on us. If you give us a decent ballpark without sewage leaking in, if you give us a product on the field that at least when I go to the ballpark, I can imagine a chance at winning. Yeah. That's all they're asking for. Yeah. They're not asking for a dirt payroll. They're not asking for a stadium that's falling apart. Invest yeah. in us. You don't have to spend a ton of money. We're not greedy. All yeah. we need is a shot. Yeah. And you haven't given us a shot all year. So Ace fans decided, well, it's in our hands now. We're going to do this reverse boycott. And all the comments on social media when it first started before we saw eventually how well Ace fans handled it. And then, of course, give credit to John Fisher because he did the right thing by donating all that ticket revenue. We found that A's fans, they did their job. And they've done but, it in the past. They've showed up when they win, they show up, you know, and, and and that's even in that crappy stadium. So it was cool, you know, and and I think that's something that even if baseball, you know, presumably leaves Oakland, it's something that 
I think we'll always remember. And I think a lot of Oakland fans will always remember uh, as just a really special ball game there to, to beat the Rays too. But we've got a lot of questions to get through. We got seven of them. All seven are really fun, kind of ranging of all different topics, Peter. And um, I, I'm noticing, and you texted me before we started recording, there's a deadline slant on the majority of our questions now. And we're getting there. You think about it, it's June 15th, as people are listening to this. By the time we do the next mailbag, it'll be trade season fully. And then if there's a mailbag after that, it would be like right at the deadline. So we're getting there. And I understand it. And we're kind of at that point where teams are, are deciding what their direction is. Um, so that kind of leads us into a lot of these questions. And it leads us into the first one, which, you know, I, I obviously wanted to jump on a Marlins question, not just because I want to talk about the Marlins. They've lost two in a row. I, I, I like to hear what you guys have to say about the Marlins as, you know, you, Jack, kind of covering the whole league, looking at the whole league and, and your thoughts on it, similar to how you ask us, you know, about the Yankees and, and Jack will ask us about the White Sox. But I never asked about the Marlins because they were never really relevant. They kind of are now. Kevin Burrell asks, trade deadline plan for the Marlins, question mark. Obviously, we know they need catching, but what other positions do you see the, them targeting and which prospects do you uh, do you find parting with to make a trade to boost the major league club. Sometimes the translation from social media is a little rough. Sorry. Uh, but basically what should the Marlins ones do? Uh, what, what should their trade deadline plan be? And what positions should they upgrade? Obviously Kim Ang recently came out and said that they're surveying the catching market, but like who isn't um, what else do you see Peter as someone that's, you know, obviously not as emotionally attached maybe to the Marlins um, though. I've, feel like I've done a good job of removing myself to a degree there, but as an outsider, so to speak, what would be your answer to Kevin's question in terms of what they should do? I'll fill in on the prospect side, but specifically on the big league side, what, what should they answer? What is the most important area to you? I think the most important area is putting Gene Segura on the bench, which they have done more and more. And I think adding a third baseman or a big time bat like that to this lineup would help even more. You know, there's a guy in Milwaukee. He's pretty good. Um, have you heard of Brian Anderson? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, in reality, so we yeah. talk about how the Giants, right, they'll probably be willing to part with a couple of bats. I don't know if the Giants want a guy like J.D. Davis long term. Yeah. But you put a guy like that on the Miami Marlins, right? Because what are the Marlins always struggling with? hitting left-handed pitching. They've been better this season. Yeah. But again, you expect some of that kind of to regress back to the mean because normally they're better against right-handed pitching. I'd like to see them add a bat like J.D. Davis. And they just have such a surplus of pitching that they can do again a Luis Arias for a Pablo Lopez-type deal. I'm not saying they're going to do it, but potentially Braxton Garrett for a bat right? They don't have to go deep into the prospect ranks in order to get a player. They can go to a relative contender and say, hey, Blue Jays, you need pitching. We need hitting, right? We talked about the Whit Merrifield type deal from the Blue Jays, right? The Blue Jays. I've been going nuts ever since we did that. Exactly. Ever since we said that. Sorry, who's going nuts? I said he's been, he's been going nuts ever since we talked about Wit. He's like, I yeah. don't want to leave Toronto. <laughs> no, but that that's what I'm saying. So they're in a very good spot. They have a prospect surplus that they could potentially trade for for a bat to a non-contender, but they also have some decent MLB pitchers that can help a contender right now in order to get a bat. So it's kind of limitless. Like you yeah. can kind of do whatever you want. They are in a good spot here. So they were they would have been in a great spot. Now there's some interesting wrinkles that I'll I'll throw to you here because I agree 
But now with some injuries and some innings limitations, the Marlins margin for error is a little thinner. They can do something, but they better do the right thing here. So I think they did the right thing by trading Pablo, right? But now you look at what their situation is. Yuri Perez, it's it's more of a matter of, of if, not when. Um, or excuse me, a matter of when, not if, in terms of him getting shut down. And not shut down for the season. I think they're going to try to manage his innings so that he can pitch later into the year. But remember, this, this kid, he's 20 years old. He's never thrown more than 70-something innings. So he's already getting there. And you know, they're going to want to be very careful with him. I mean, you're looking at the next five, six, seven, eight years with this guy. And you, you know how special he is. So they got to manage his innings. Trevor Rogers just had a little bit of a setback. He probably could be back in a couple of weeks, but it was a setback on his other arm. Thank goodness. So I think he's fine. Johnny Cueto's on his way back. That's at least a good depth arm there for you. Edward Cabrera didn't look great, but they're going to ride Lizardo, Cabrera, Sandy all, all the way. Jake Eater just threw again. That's one of their best pitching prospects. Max Meyer's out for the year. But Again, he's, he's already throwing and, and is on his way back. Assuming that you have to get through several months without Yuri, maybe Trevor's not back yet and you're waiting for Cueto to come back, you probably got to trade from the minor league surplus or, or the minor league guys that you have. And I guess my question for you is, are you sold enough on what the Marlins are doing to trade a legitimate building block? Or are you going for more of the low-budget move to go get like a J.D. Davis. Because to me, that when you mentioned J.D. Davis, that was perfect for me. Because you're looking at this team, they're always going to be pitching-centric. J.D. makes a big difference. Because it's not just adding J.D. Davis. It's replacing Gene Segura with J.D. Davis, which is like yeah. a net extra win. So I would almost rather do the smaller move. But have you seen enough to maybe be excited enough to try to make like a, a bigger splash and try to make a more aggressive move? The thing is, I think you already kind of answered your question, right? Because if they were to make a bigger splash, they got to trade from a lack of assets per se, yeah. right? Yeah. Because if if they're going to make a splash, they have to trade a Max Meyer and a Jake Eater or some sort of combination of those guys in order to get that big time bat. And then what that does is that it ultimately takes away from your future in starting pitching, which you do have a good amount of. But Sandy's, you know, problems have been well documented up up to this point. Like Lazardo has kind of had his ups and downs. Yuri's going to go down for the season. So if you trade away those big time pitchers, the the lack of depth is going you're, to start you're going showing all in, in years. And then when I look at the current team as constructed, Gene Segura is the only real hole. Like the Marlins aren't this star studded team. But when I go around the diamond, I'm not like, that guy sucks. That guy sucks. It's catching, mm -hmm. and it's the Gene Segura. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with their outfield. I don't really have a problem with their infield outside of him. I don't have a problem with their starting pitching. Maybe we'll get a couple of bullpen arms. But I think if they make small moves within the margins, they will be competitive this year. And I think you. that's a step up from other Marlins teams. I I'm with you. I think that's I think that's 100% the move that, that they should make, especially because you mentioned – if they do trade from Eater or Meyer, uh, you're going all in on the aforementioned arms, which you know, you have often injured Rodgers, and you have a – I would say that Edward Cabrera and Jesus Lizardo are two of the most volatile pitchers in baseball right now. Looking so, like it. So, which, you know, they're, they're great and sometimes they're terrible. So, from that lens, like, do you want to go all in on that rotation? Like, you want to have a little bit of buffer. I think you make a smaller move, bolster the catching position, bolster third base – and just ride this squad out. But I agree, like, there's no gaping hole, and you get Jazz back, and that's just another bat to add in there as well. So I'm with you on that. I, I don't think that they should do anything crazy. I'd make a smaller move or two 
and just kind of piece it together and ride with this team and, and see what you can do. The only issue is there's not a ton of great catching options that are going to be available at the deadline. So you might just have to roll with Nick Fortes, which Nick Fortes. And no, I, I, I'm looking at just like upgrading from Jacob Stallings. Like just yeah. give me a like Jan Gomes to me would be great. I, I would take, I don't like Joey Bart, but like, man, that's fine as a second, as a second catcher, anyone, but Jacob Stallings, I think he's actually the worst catcher in major league baseball. He's up there. I mean, guardians fans would argue about Mike Zanino, but that's another for another time. <laughs> yeah. Who's the worst catcher? Just a yeah. full hour debate. Um, you and I could probably do that. I think, uh, Next question comes from Riley McElwain two on Instagram. And I know that this is one that you like, Peter, if you could put a package together for Shane Bieber in a trade, what would they look like? So first here, Peter, we got to identify a few teams. We've done that in a couple, a couple of episodes prior. I think the more that the guardians struggle now, the more likely it seems that they could move him. Um, what do we think the guardians are looking for? And what teams do we think will be in on the guardians is where we'll start. I'll let you pick the teams and then I'll kind of add, you know, which teams I think can offer a package maybe that the guardians, you know, I think would like, and then we can kind of come together with a conclusion. It is so funny though, because while you're right, the guardians are struggling a little bit. They're still just two and a half games back in the Minnesota twins for the division. But at the same time, we brought up the Shane Bieber possible trade proposal before it got announced not because we had some inside source about knowing that he'd potentially get traded, but that it made sense because the Guardians have this incredible surplus of starting pitching, and the fact that they haven't signed him to a long-term extension yet may put the writing on the wall that they're saying, yeah, "Yeah, we could potentially trade Shane Bieber if it meant getting in an impact-type bat. And among these reports that I'm reading, Aram, it is becoming increasingly clear that more teams are willing to do the Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias type trade that contenders are willing to say, Hey, we'll trade with another contender. We need pitching. You need a bat. We got a bat. We need a bat. You got pitching like that kind of trade off. So rare, which is so rare, rare, which is getting better. I love those type of trades. It feels like fantasy baseball. Yeah. Right. You don't send some 19 year old who maybe you've never heard of. And it's like, well, great. Our star just left. Now we have to wait a couple years and it may end up going great for you. But sometimes it doesn't like when you do that type of trade, you see the returns are immediate. So there's plenty of teams that I think could not only. So we'll go over the contenders that potentially have a lot of bats who need pitching. And number one, we'll just go by division because there's almost one in every single division. The Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays come to my mind first, right? Need pitching. They have MLB ready bats. Orioles have more of a prospect surplus that they can go to if the Guardians are more interested, right? So the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays first up on my list. Could the Houston Astros be interested, right? Luis Garcia goes down. Right now, they really only have Hunter Brown, Framber Valdez, and Christian Javier because McCullers, it just continues to get... He's the, and and they could really use a guy like Shane Bieber. Yeah, I think you have to operate under the assumption that McCullers is just not coming back this year, really, in any major capacity. And you could consider the Texas Rangers. I wouldn't be shocked about them either, and I would consider the Los Angeles Angels. So those five in the American League, I would say, are at the forefront. In the National League, I think you could put the Braves in there. Do I think they're going to do it? No. Is it worth putting them in there? I think so. Of course. Um, I think the Phillies could potentially be 
definitely involved here. The Mets just have Steve Cohen. So they're willing to part with assets because they want to compete now. Will they do it? Not so sure. Should they be in the conversation? Yeah, I think so. Nobody really in the central um, comes out of me. I guess ex- you could say the Brewers. I just don't really see them buying nah, like that. that. That would blow my mind. Because if, like could... if anything, they might go the other way. Then you could say the Cardinals, right? And we're going to talk about them in a little bit, but they'll be in the, I don't know if they're buying, I don't know if they're selling. We'll hold Pat on them, at least for this moment, because not only are we unsure if they're buying or selling, even if they were buying, we're not sure that they'd part with any assets, but they have such a perfect package that they could do it. So we might as well just mention them. The Dodgers have to be included in this discussion. The Diamondbacks should be included in this discussion. Yeah, Padres, maybe like there's a lot of teams who would need Shane Bieber. So yeah. of those teams, which three shot out at you? And then we could compile a package for those three. And then fans of other teams can say, all right, that's what we need to do in order to get Shane Bieber. Yeah, I think I think you look at the the West, the, the NLS specifically, we could have a good old fashioned bidding war between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers and the Padres. And, and I think that that I don't I, I want to kind of survey more of the league. But when I look at it from this lens, I could see all three teams being even more interested. Do you remember kind of with Scherzer uh, and Trey Turner, but specifically with the whole Scherzer sweepstakes, how the Padres were in and the Dodgers kind of topped them at the 11th hour and it made it that much more painful for the Padres. Cause not only did you not get Max Scherzer, you also lost him to your direct competitor. All three of those teams can really could really use a Shane Bieber. As we know, the, the Dodgers, this is as thin pitching-wise as they've been. Uh, and some of the youngsters, obviously Bobby Miller looks great, but Gavin Stone doesn't look like he's he's quite ready. The, the Padres, you have the most aggressive general manager in Major League Baseball. And you know, they're, they're not good right now, but they're, they're still good enough to hang around, and they're not going to mail it in, especially after what they gave up for Soto. And the system is kind of strengthened up a little bit. And then, you know, we know the Diamondbacks, I think, are almost a perfect trade partner as well. Like they, they can definitely put together a few different packages and Bieber instantly makes that team a legitimate, legitimate playoff contender. You know, they go from regular season warriors to, okay, you got Zach Gallen. Okay, you got Shane Bieber. Okay, you got Merrill Kelly. I'm okay with that three-headed monster in the postseason. So those three teams stand out the most to me. I don't know if there's anyone on the American League side that, you know, really, really catches your eye. Um, but I, I, I got to look at the NLS just, just specifically. Yeah. I, and I put my eggs in the American league East part. Mm-hmm. I just think that the Orioles and the blue Jays are both in prime positions to make a deal like this, right? You look at the Orioles and they have plenty of major league bats. How about Anthony Santander for one, right? Yeah. How about Austin Hayes? Like a lot of these guys where we have infield prospects coming up, Jorge Mateo, guys like that. The uh, Guardians would probably love Jorge Mateo, even though he has been striking out a little bit more. But Adam and Ab- Adam Frazier, Adam Frazier sounds such like a Guardian. But those type of players could potentially be included into a deal. And that's not to mention if the Guardians want to dip into the prospect bucket, they say, hey, we need a shortstop. We think Jordan Westberg is ready right now. We'd like Jordan Westberg as a headliner in the Shane Bieber deal. And then when we look at the Toronto Blue Jays, the problem is that the Blue Jays don't really have MLB-ready bats that I think the Guardians would be that interested in. Because, like, you're not trading Springer or Vladdy or Bichette or Chapman no, or Barsho. 
I do think, I mean, the Blue Jays have been aggressive. There, There is one way where you can entice the Guardians, I think, and it's dangle your really high upside pitching prospects. If they dangled Brandon Barriera, or, or Brandon Barrera, left-handed pitcher, first-round pick, up to 98. He's been a little banged up this year. I, I wouldn't do it. I think that's really aggressive. But, you know, the Blue Jays are very locked in on winning now. Barrera is obviously very far off, and they have Tiedemann, and those guys are pretty similar. I mean, the Guardians, the way they develop pitching, you got to be licking your chops if you get an opportunity to add a pitcher like that to your system because it's just an allocation of assets. Then you can use all of the other pitching prospects you have to go get a bat another time. Uh, that that's how the Blue Jays would probably have to do it. They'd probably have to give up a higher quality prospect than anybody else, but they could do it. They've got enough of at least uh, if you start with Barrera, you can put together a package with, with the Orioles. I'm looking at the outfield too, right? Because you look at the, the, the guardian situation. I think they call up Brian Rocchio. And I think he ends up being their guy up the middle with, with Andres Jimenez, but there's several outfielders. You mentioned Santander, but if, if the Guardians are looking more for control, I don't know if Cowser will be available, but they've got several other guys. Judd Fabian looks really good right now. Uh, they've got Heston Kerstad, who's yeah. been fantastic. Heston Kerstad would be a – basically everything they need is Heston Kerstad. He'd be their best power bat right now. Um, so they could really put together something exciting there with Kerstad – and then, and, and to kind of conceptualize well, it, Kerstad wouldn't be a better power bat than like Jose Ramirez. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Him, obviously I'm looking at like everybody else. Like he could be, he could develop into, you know, I think a better power bat than basically everybody else, <laughs> which is, which is pretty nuts to say. Uh, I think if you went Kerstad and two solid fill-ins, Cesar Prieto has had a phenomenal year and one other solid prospect. That could get you two years, a year and a half of Shane Bieber. No problem, I think. But let's say the Guardians say we want to compete right now and we don't think that Kerstad is going to be that difference maker. What if they say we need Kerstad and Anthony Santander? Who? That's interesting. Santander's right? been swinging it better lately, yeah, right? He's I, good. I, I, he's he's like one of those MLB ready bats that'll help the Guardians immediately. And he's not like a huge strikeout guy. He fits their model. Like he, he'd be a good hitter in their lineup. Is he a free agent after this year or next year? Uh, we can look that up. Yeah, let's look that up. Because that if he's a free agent after this year, I'm in. If he's a free agent after next year, that's a lot. That's it's a lot, a lot but up. it's also Shane Bieber. It is Shane Bieber. But is it Shane Bieber? You're right. It's not the Maybe exact it is. same Shane Bieber. He looks really good last start. He's leading the league in innings pitched right now. He's got I a mean, 3 two, nine. It's still going to be the Shane Bieber that throws 195 to 205 innings at a 3-4 ERA. Yeah, and it's extremely I, I, valuable. I think he's going to be valued at that. So... Yeah, I, I do think Santander and Kerstad is a fun deal. Yeah. I like that. And and they don't feel that at all. No. Like sure, Santander swings it. You know, you, you got to hope someone else steps up in the lineup. Okay. Gunnar Henderson's stepping up right now, by the way, going nuclear. Nuclear. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot for both teams. Yeah, I think that's good for the Guardians. So now let's go to the National League West. I'm just kicking out the Padres because I don't even think that they'd trade MLB ready bats right now for a no, Shane they Bieber. And their their system is absolutely drained. So I think we focus on the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks because those two teams are competing and both need starting pitching. What do you think the Diamondbacks would have to give up? Because I think they could revolve a deal around a Alec Thomas, potentially a Jake McCarthy and then prospects. If you're looking at the Dodgers, 
Maybe a Miguel Vargas could be included in a deal. Maybe a Michael Bush. Guys like that. Bush, immediate sure. help. Immediate help to the Guardians offensively. Yeah, Bush basically instantly make, would, would be able to plug into their lineup in some capacity. Uh, Vargas fits their mold really well. Um, I, I think they'd have to give up Vargas. I think you would probably, uh, unless you want to give up just a prospect, you know, package like a really good but do the guardians do. want to do that yeah right? that's the thing if, if we're I, o- operating under the assumption that the guardians want big league help in this swap i think we have to if the guardians were 10 and a half back but they're two and a half back yeah right they're right there and it's not like the twins are playing good baseball either the twins lead this division at 34 and 33 i know the guardians they got off to a slow start last year they still see the division within their sights i think if they're trading shane bieber it is not for a rebuild they're trading Shane Bieber just because they have so many pitchers. Tristan McKenzie comes back and looks pretty good. I know he kind of struggled in his last start, but he was excellent in his first start. He's still fantastic. Yeah, he's great. Gavin Williams is going to come up. Tanner Bobby, Logan Allen, we can continue, right? So I think we have to look at it from the lens of the Guardians want to compete now. If you want Shane Bieber, you have to give us young, controllable bats or a real MLB hitter right now that could potentially be a free agent next year or the year after and a prospect like we did Santander and Heston Kirstad. Like it would have to be Vargas and then probably another piece for Shane Bieber. And then for the Diamondbacks, it's a tough one. Like Cattell Marte. No, they signed him to that no extension. Way. That wouldn't be him. It probably wouldn't be a guy like Josh Rojas. It would have to, it, it would have to be McCarthy and or Thomas. Or Thomas. But both of those guys have struggled, so you'd have to attach a better prospect. McCarthy's been better. Better. Yeah. Low bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vargas, like Vargas could almost get, I think would almost be enough on his own just because he's proven as as a big league bat and has so much control. Now maybe you have to attach a prospect, a decent prospect there, but that would be a great, a great combination there. McCarthy or Thomas, like they're getting another like mile straw right now. Obviously way more offensive upside, but you got to attach a, pretty good prospect in there too than I'd imagine. They can do it. They could. They could absolutely do it. Um they they could they could offer a, a handful of different exciting prospects. It, it's also wild like Geraldo Perdomo is playing out of his mind. Um so that's a guy that you know now you have in the fold. Lawler's gonna be up. That's obviously an untouchable guy. But other than that, you know, they they've got a handful of prospects I think that they could attach to one of those big league uh, or quadruple A right now in Alec Thomas, Jake McCarthy type guys and and figure something out. So I think the Diamondbacks could put together kind of anything they're willing to put together too. Uh, but obviously the Dodgers can just outbid anybody, which is the hardest part. So who would be that last prospect as we wrap up if you were to combine Jake McCarthy and who for Shane Bieber? Thinking about it from the lens of like, what would they want from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like, obviously, you're not trading Drew Jones. You're not trading. You're not going to trade Lawler. Then Davis and De Los Santos is is a really intriguing, really intriguing talent. You're getting Shane they'd probably, Bieber. They'd have to attach Davis and De Los Santos. And, and Jake McCarthy, and maybe fans, more. Yeah, I'd say Davis and De Los Santos, Jake McCarthy, and then another like A.J. Bukovic, who's been swinging it really well. Dom Fletcher, who looks really good in the upper minors and, and in a little big league cameo, looks really solid. Um, They'd probably want pitch. Fletcher. They yeah. probably want the guys who can compete now. Yeah, I'd say probably Fletcher, De Los Santos, and then one of those other outfielders. That's a haul. It's a haul. But it's Shane Bieber. 
It's Shane Bieber. Like, we're not we're not trading for uh, Michael Lorenzen over here. This is Shane fucking Bieber. You're yeah. gonna have to give up a lot. Yeah, that's the re- and it's a starting pitcher, the most prized asset in Major League Baseball. Yeah. And Shane Bieber is gonna throw you innings. Like oh, yeah. he's a 200 innings guy. Those are few and far between, right? I know the stuff has been declining. I know he's not the Shane Bieber that won the Cy Young in that shortened season, but he's still very good. And we have a question coming up where he's at the top of that list. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll get into one more question. Then got to tell you a little bit about so rare, of course. And uh, I got a crazy, crazy tweet at me in regards to so rare of one of the best lineups. I think I've ever seen constructed from our guy, Tanner Clifton, who's I know been a long time listener, but we'll get one more question. in before that real quick, you guys preach how important command is in a pitcher. Can you go more in depth on the difference between command and control and give some examples of pitchers who have good control and, but poor command that's from Z underscore stro 15 on Instagram. This was a great question because this is something that I'm always diving into in the prospect world. Uh, and it's something that is, is hard to, to really be able to quantify in the data. You got to watch and, and see, you can obviously pick up locations, but it also depends on where the catcher was set up and all those things. But before we get into specific examples, command and control. And I, I see this question brought up a lot, whether it's with a prospect or a big leaguer. Control is just simply your ability to, to not walk guys, simply your ability to throw it inside of that imaginary box that we see, you know, on television. Don't walk guys. That's it. Command is how are you hitting your spots? Uh, are you when when the situation calls for a fastball in, are you running it back over the middle too often? Uh, are you you know throwing a non-competitive pitch every once in a while where it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Really, are you hitting your spots and are you sequencing well? And, and that's the biggest thing. And also, usually, I I would say broader command is over multiple pitches. Control, you could see a guy that throws his fastball for a strike doesn't really have a great feel for the other pitches, but doesn't walk a lot of guys because he can go back to the fastball. So I have some examples. I don't know if you had any examples off off, off of your mind, Peter, but uh, that's kind of the primer on command versus control. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the way I like to look at it is arms right. It's very hard to quantify this type of stuff. And you just got to have to watch a lot of baseball. And the way I look at it, watch where the catcher is positioned and watch if that pitcher is hitting the glove right where the catcher wants to sit. Because there's a difference between throwing a slider in the middle of the zone and throwing a slider low and away for a strike. That is the difference between control and command. And a couple of guys who I think both have great control and great command is a guy like Shane Bieber, who I think throws as many strikes as possible, but you don't see the catcher ever move in his mitt. I think at the in the at the peak of his powers, Max Scherzer was a great example of a guy with elite control with elite command of the strike zone. A guy I've noticed this year who normally has good command of the strike zone, and you can point to other factors, right? His fastball velocity is a little bit down. The spin rate's a little bit down. The shape is a little bit different, and that's why he's getting hit up a little bit. But when I watch Logan Gilbert starts, I feel that he still has control. He's not walking guys, but his command of the strike zone doesn't look as good as previous years. You look at a lot of the heat zones, it's kind of just red in the strike zone, right? He likes to throw that up fastball, but it's been really middle this season, right? His other off-speed pitches, they're kind of leaving middle. It's not bad. You're still throwing strikes, but you're not throwing those pitches as out pitches. You're throwing them right in the middle of the zone, 
And against big league hitters, anybody can hit that. That's what's led, I think, to his 4.38 ERA this season. Now, that's that's just one example. It's not the full scope. It's not, oh, is, is command hasn't been good? That's why he's getting hit. There are other indicators. He's just a guy who I noticed, who I'm used to put him putting it wherever he wants. And he's still throwing strikes, but they're more in the middle of the zone, which is a lack of command. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. I think that's that's a great example right there with Gilbert, a pretty fastball heavy guy. So it, you got to be commanding the fastball to set the tone for everything else. And my example would actually be a young a youngster who can get away with not having great fastball command, but I think it's the difference between him being you know more of a number two, number three versus a number four, number five. Bryce Miller, he was able to get away with it in the minor leagues because I've talked about that eighty fastball. Bryce Miller can go middle middle and get away with it, but as you mentioned, Peter. In Major League Baseball, you don't get away with as much. That's what made it so remarkable with Miller is that he still was getting away with it. But that's a guy that you look at the, the walk numbers are relatively low, but you'll see the home run numbers higher. It's it's a broad brush, but I would say you could typically put those guys in the control over command bucket, the guys that don't walk a lot of hitters but give up a lot of home runs. Uh, those are usually the guys that you know miss their spots within the zone a little bit. Uh, and that's exactly you know what what Gilbert's been this year. That's what Bryce Miller is, and and there's plenty of other examples. But uh, that that was a great question because I think a lot of people are always kind of wondering what the big difference is between the two. And a good example of guys with no control and no command <laughs> are guys like Jack Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals, Blake Snell of the San Diego Padres, Josiah Gray of the Washington Nationals, and another example of a guy who I think might be the only player in Major League Baseball last season who had great command, but not a lot of control, if that makes sense, was Cal Quantrill. Yeah. I always felt that Cal Quantrill was throwing that cutter right outside the zone. It wasn't a strike, but he was getting hitters to chase because it looked like a strike, looked like a strike that wasn't a strike. So he wasn't throwing a ton of strikes. His walk rate was a little bit higher if he didn't get those guys to kind of chase slightly outside the zone. But when they did, he allowed a lot of soft contact and ended up getting that ground ball to get out of the inning. He was he's one of the first guys I've ever watched who doesn't have great control in terms of throwing so many strikes, but he actually had very good command. And there's so many ways to work around it, which is the most like brain numbing (laughs) twister like of all time. But I I would agree. Quantrill's like in that in that bucket Uh, real quick before we get to questions, the, the final few questions here. Uh, reminder to sign up for our so rare league. The link is in our podcast description. It's so much fun. It's fantasy, really just the most fun way possible. You get to pick up your cards, you get to draft your cards. Those players, you plug in your lineup every single week. You get to compete against me, Peter, Jack, and we give away merch to the winners. I saw thank you to those who DM me and sent me a screenshot of their lineup. Hey, this was me that just dominated this week. Uh, I We will send you some merch. We got some new merch on the way that we're going to be putting up on the store this week. So you'll get some of the new stuff, but so rare, so much fun. I play in the limited leagues now too, which is you, know, you, you pick up the cards for, I bought that Carrie Carpenter for seven bucks. I bought Michael Lorenzen for three bucks, but then I, I just splurged recently and you know bought an Austin Riley, which was like 18 or whatever. And th- those, those are really fun too but you don't need to spend a dime to play with us. You can also draft your team for free and enter these competitions for a chance to still win prizes. Tanner Clifton reached out to me uh, on Twitter. He's in first place of all of the leagues, like our league, obviously. And then the whole league of everything of everyone, all 24,000 people. So he would get 
like a legitimately good limited card, which means like he's going to, if he holds this spot, number one, he could get like an Austin Riley or somebody better than that. And a, a limited card to build out his limited team, or he could just sell it for like 40, 50 bucks or however much that card is that he pulls. So shout out Tanner Clifton. He's balling out. Send me your screenshots. I've enjoyed all the DMS I've got. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to join the sell rare league. Not surprised. Tanner's a goat. He's been yeah. listening to the podcast for a long time. It's one of the smartest people alive now. Yeah, are we? I would say, are, are we going to kind of take a little credit for that? Right? <laughs> no, we shouldn't take any credit at all. But Tanner, I do really appreciate you listening, my friend, and you're killing it in so rare. And you can join. The link is in the episode description. It's an absolute no-brainer. It's not like, oh, then you pay nine ninety nine a month, and oh. we no, it's a free app. We want everyone to join our fantasy baseball league so we can compete yeah. and then send you guys free merch. Yeah. But the easiest uh, ad read I've ever done because it's, it's so, so much fun and it's just it's a link click and you play fantasy baseball with your boys. It's yeah, awesome. it, it's so fun. And and again, like if you do fall in love with it, definitely play the limited competitions and you can spend some money. But again, you don't have to, which is the cool part. It's free or you can dive deeper and be obsessed with it like I am. So again, link in the episode description. Next question. It's a Red Sox related question. Are the Red Sox salvageable? Or is it time to blow it up even more? This comes from D book cards on Instagram. There's a reason why I put this question in here, Peter. I actually don't want to shit on the Red Sox. I actually want to highlight the pieces that are clearly a part of what they're building here. And then the pieces that they should move. They shouldn't blow it up. They, they, no. they sh there's not much to, to blow up. The guys that are performing for you are guys you should keep. And the guys that, you know, I think I've been a, a little bit of a pleasant surprise, maybe trade them. I think ultimately you should be, if you're the Red Sox, if you're Heim Bloom, trading the James Paxton's of the world, sell high on him, pick up a prospect or two. You might get a sneaky good, you know, return there because I think he will. Really good. It's been yeah, dominant. He's been really good. And, and I will say Heim Bloom, the one thing he has done really well is identify prospects. You know, he comes from that background, identify prospects and do well on those mid-level deals. He did really well in the Christian Vasquez trade. I loved Emmanuel Valdez and William Abreu, given that it was a rental for Christian Vasquez. I, I think that's what they should really do. And they should focus on next year. There's a team that could be good next year. Jared oh, yeah. Durant has turned into a legitimate piece. I assume they extend Verdugo, who is slumping, but has looked better this year. Rafael Devers is about to go nuclear. Trevor Story will be back. I, I don't think he's as good as what they paid him to be, but he's better than what they've got out there. I can tell you that. Yoshida is a monster with the bat. Like they've And their catching situation is way better than we thought it would be. they got to figure out the pitching. they got to find more arms. But I don't think they're that far off. I wouldn't trade any controllable pieces, but I would trim some of the fat and cash in on some of the rentals or the guys that aren't going to be a part of your team two, three years from now. From a Yankee fan to a Red Sox fan, we're in a gauntlet of a division. This sucks, right? We're in the same boat, Red Sox fans. The Yankee fans, we're in the same boat. Like, yeah, the Yankees have been a little bit better this season, but we're going to be without judge for an extended period of time. And the Blue Jays are just starting to heat up too, and the Orioles are just, they win every day and it doesn't even matter. And then the Rays, it's, it's headlines whenever they lose a game. Like, that's the reality of the situation. And then you have a bunch of teams in the West also battling it out. So... That classic, well, three teams from the American League East are going to make it is not the case this year. It may end up happening, but it's not nearly as clear as it has been in previous seasons. Yeah. So as a Yankee fan, I'm not very confident about us making the playoffs. And the Red Sox are objectively worse than the Yankees are. I think that's just a fact. 
right? It's because the Yankees are going to get healthier. And even so, the Red Sox are playing really bad baseball. So while the Yankees are losing games, the Red Sox are dropping games to the Rockies. But I'm not shitting on the Red Sox. Because no. to your point, they can do a lot here. Brian Bayo is putting up a very good May, and he looks to be a building block for the future Absolutely. in this rotation. Absolutely. Whitlock has struggled, but you're not going to trade him. He's 27 no. years old. He's going to be a guy who you have in your rotation for a long time. Cutter Crawford, I think, is just a bullpen arm. I yes. bet on him the other day, two innings, and I was like, holy shit, because his advanced number is really good. His XRO is really low. I'm like, damn, like, yeah, he's had some tough starts, but no, he just falls apart in the third yeah. inning because yeah, that's really, what he is. He's a bullpen he's really, guy. Yeah. Kind of what Tanner Houck is. Like Tanner Houck could eventually be if he adds a really good new third pitch and is able to get out one side of the plate. Like potentially he could be. He could, could have an Eflin track. An Eflin he could have an Eflin track. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So those are your guys. You're moving Cutter Crawford to the bullpen. But Bayo, Houck, Whitlock, and then, like, I don't know what you're going to do with Chris Sale. But you have some solid guys in the bullpen who you could potentially trade off. But Verdugo's staying. Yoshida's staying. Devers is staying. Casas is staying. Outside of that, you can trade some guys. But you can the, – the Red Sox are in a spot where they can still be competitive yeah. while selling off because the top half of your team is still very good, especially on offense. That's and why that's they rank eighth in OPS as a team this season. And that's their controllable core. Like th those are their those are their guys. So yeah, I agree. I think you you focus on next year. You pick up some good prospects. You make some some smaller moves, but you don't deplete the team so that nobody's going to say, oh, they're burning it down. But you shouldn't be buying. You shouldn't be like, oh, let's try to put this thing together. No, Chris Sale's out for two months. The the only way that this team was finding any success this year is if Chris Sale played pitched out of his mind. And he showed flashes, but obviously he's out for for multiple months here. So I, they should just make the smaller moves. Trade a Paxton, trade a bullpen arm or two. It, maybe someone calls on Duvall, trade Duvall, and, and and call it a day. Marcelo Meyer's getting closer. He's already in double. There's other pieces. Sedan Rafael, I still think, is going to be a big league piece for them. They have a little bit more time to, to see what they got there. And then attack free agency, make a trade or two in the offseason for an arm, and, and then really go full bore into next year. I think they're, that's the best way. They're kind of like the American League Giants right now, right? Still in a good position, still have a good core to build around, but you can trade some of those veterans that aren't going to be a part of the future, recoup assets, be yep. in a better position to then trade for the big fish once you sign some more free agents next season, and you'll be right back in the thick of it. The Red yep. Sox have been through this before. They've had last place finishes that then turned into World Series appearances or wins the year after. They've done this before, and they could yep. potentially do it again. I would not be surprised to see the or Astros, the Red Sox <laughs> competing for a division title next year if they follow this plan. Know. If they Absolutely. believe they are buyers, I think that could actually hurt them long term. Yeah, because exactly. if you trade big time prospects in order to get that piece, I don't think the Red Sox have the skeleton to compete with some of these great teams. Yeah, no, I agree, and and especially just the pitching. So I think they know that too. And and the, and the, they'll they'll be a good team next year. I, I do believe that. I, I see too. I see it I see it tracking that way. This one's a, a question for me, <laughs> but number five is from Devos eighteen on Instagram. Who's the biggest boomer bust prospect in the top one hundred right now? The reason why I threw this one in here is I wanted to talk about Emmanuel Rodriguez. And Emmanuel Rodriguez is by far maybe the biggest boomer bust prospect I think I've ever seen. Uh, this dude, twenty years old, Minnesota Twins organization outfielder. 
His numbers look terrible on the surface, but he has insane potential. This dude has already hit a ball 117 miles per hour this year. He just turned 20. I mean, 117, that's harder than Austin Riley. That's harder than some of the most impressive power bats in the game. He also is too patient. I always talk about patience versus passiveness. He's passive. Chase rate of 10%. So this guy's striking out more than he should. But I think it's literally because he's just taking too many strikes and then getting himself deep into counts. And then you get a high A umpire that's going to ring you up. There's some some things he needs to tweak with his swing to get to where he needs to be. But there is nobody in the lower levels walking as much as he does while hitting balls 117 miles an hour at his age. Emmanuel Rodriguez of the Twins is my biggest boomer bust guy. And then I got to go to Spencer Jones. I was really excited about him this year. I'm still very excited about him. I thought that the bust potential would be a little bit shorter. Like I didn't think he'd be as volatile. He's striking out way too much in high A right now but he's also hitting the crap out of the ball. He's running well. He looks pretty good in center. The approach has to improve, but Spencer Jones with the Yanks, like that's a six foot seven dude, insane swing, insane power. If it's, if he hits, like if if his boom is top five prospects in baseball, his bust is he never hits enough. So those are the two guys, two outfielders that are my biggest boomer bust guys in the top 100. Twins and Yankees. Guys who breed boomer bust guys, apparently. I'm sure you could throw Jason Miguez. Sure, you could throw Jason Dominguez into that into that bucket too. Boom yep. is a top five center fielder in baseball, perennial all star. Bust is the carcass of Gary Sanchez, yes. who's now crushing it for the the Padres, uh, the Padres or the, Padres. the uh, carcass of Aaron Hicks, who's also yep. crushing it for the Baltimore Orioles. Great, good job, Yankees. Good stuff. Uh, next question is a really fun one. I got this actually through the through a personal message. From my buddy, my buddy Danny Rodriguez here. So at not D Rod on Twitter, he said this was a big debate with the boys in his group chat. So uh, they wanted our thoughts on this. Would you rather have nine Kyle Schwarbers in your lineup or nine Luis Arises? So the context here: Schwarber's been iffy this year. Arises playing at the top of his game. So we're taking the peak Schwarber. So when he was clicking on all cylinders last year, pretty much what he did last year versus what Arise is doing right now which means you're going to get a pretty similar WRC plus, but in the most opposite ways humanly possible. We're also discarding defense. It's just in your lineup, who do you want? A, a peak Schwarber or this peak Arias right now? Nine of them. Which do you want, Peter? Surprised this is even a debate, to be completely honest with you. I would take nine Luis Arias's over like a lot of players in Major League Baseball. No disrespect to Kyle Schwarber. Because I have a guy who can play multiple positions. I have a guy who imagine Luis Arias followed by Luis Arias. Luis Arias is is getting Luis Arias over, and then Luis Arias is getting that base hit to score Luis Arias. Gosh, Warwick could strike out three times in the same inning, right? If he if he leads off the game with a strikeout, and then a walk, and then maybe a home run, like you maybe have two runs, but there aren't going to be many outs in the Luis Arias team. And then when you factor in defense too, I don't know how good they are on the mound. That might have to be, you know, some sort of the debate. Yeah. No, There's we're going no just, question. we're just, just the bat. Just am the bat. I taking the guy who's almost hitting 400 or am I taking the guy who has 40 home runs, but at the same time is going to hit 210, right? I know the WRC pluses in peak Schwarber are going to be fine, but if I'm building a baseball team, there's no question I'm going with nine Luis Arises. So here, here's the interesting thing. Luis Arias also is going to be near the top in baseball and grounded in the double plays. So you're going to have that single 
and then the double play, and now you got nobody on and two outs pretty quickly. Schwarber may strike out, strike out, then the third batter goes deep. The third Schwarber goes deep, and now you got to run. I'm with you. I, I Of course, being the, the Marlins guy, I'm going to lean Arias. But there's an interesting angle of Schwarber walks. He's going to get on base at a similar-ish clip. And you can get that home run. But not similar-ish. Like, if we're taking both primes, Kyle Schwarber's not putting up a 400 OBP. Has he ever had a season where he put up near what Luis Arias is doing right now? And if we factor in uh, defense at all, even though no, we said no like defense, Schwarber, that's what I preface with. Oh, no defense. Okay, no defense Just at bat. all. Just the bat. I would. I got to take Luis Arias because it's not like Luis. Like Luis Arias can hit a home run. He's not going to hit zero home runs this year, right? He's one. He might hit six or seven this year. Like so I'm. I have to take that. Schwarber's 2021, 374 on base, 32 homers, and then uh, 2022 on base was terrible, 323 but he had 46 homers for the sake of argument. I'll go with the 2021 season 145 WRC plus. Do you have a rise WRC plus up in front of you right now? No, but I can get it in, okay. in about 40 seconds or it's less still, than that 40 seconds. I way overvalue yeah, that. That would have been, been a really slow type. Yeah. Uh, Luis Arias's WRC plus in 2023 is 148 right now, but it's followed by a 131 last year. Like Schwarber goes through these ups and downs. So it's also not totally that's, fair to the argument. The we thing. just take the prime year because if we're just taking the prime year, like no doubt I'm taking this well, Luis Arias hitting 382, striking up 5% of the time with a 148 WRC plus. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll add uh, no defense, but of course I'm, I'm taking that. It's interesting because do you know that there's a facet of people out there that would absolutely. Oh yeah. Schwarber. Those Absolutely. analytically driven and, and that's not to bash analytics at all. Like, but there's, there's a lot of people out there that not a lot. I think there's just, they're louder that try to invalidate what Luis Arias is doing. Um, and, and, you know, say that a bunch of singles is not nearly as valuable as plenty of homers. And I think WRC plus will, will show that there's a lot of different ways to, to kind of slice the apple to create runs. Of, yeah. There's a lot of different ways to create runs, but over the course of an entire season, I'm with you. I will take the consistency. I will also take the guy that's going to really make pitchers grind. I know Schwarber's patient and makes pitchers grind from that regard, but he also has a lot of three, four pitch punchies. Arise is never going to do that. He's going to grind it out. There's going to be times where maybe he jumps on an early pitch and, and grounds out is what it is, but he's always putting the ball in play. And with shift limitations, Arise gets, gets the nod. If there was no shift limitation – I think Schwarber has a stronger case, yeah. But I just, I just think it's too, it's too easy uh, for for Luis Arias to just pick up a hit every single day. Like, and for some just, reason, for some reason, we think Luis Arias, or maybe when I say we, I mean me. I, I think Luis Arias is thirty, twenty six. You know, like Schwarber's kind of not been through his prime and he's past his prime because I still think he's he's swinging it, and I still think he's at least in the back half of his prime. Is Luis Arias entering his prime? Yeah. So last year with the shift, the dude led the league in batting average and had a 131 WRC plus while walking more than he struck out, right? And he hit eight home runs. This year, he could hit six to eight home runs while hitting 360, that- while striking out 5% of the time and putting up a 150 WRC plus. That's just, if we just look at WRC plus, creating runs, park adjusted, 
Luis Arise, what he's doing right now, getting into his prime, is better than what Schwarber's ever done. And, and I agree. And the thing, too, is, and what I said when the Marlins got Arise, I wrote this in the piece, too, is people are like, oh, he's going into, you know, not Lone Depot, or Lone Depot Park. It's going to help him. That's what I, that was my argument. People are like, oh, he's going there. Now he's going to have no home runs. Great. He's going to have way more doubles, way more singles, because he is has enough power to beat you over the head, just enough. But so you got to play straight up, but he just drops so many little flares left, right, whatever. He has so much room to work with out there. And I really think that that's what's worked in his favor. I'm with you. I'm with the nine Luis Arises, but I do know that there's, I want to see like those who are out there, if you're in their YouTube comments or whatever, or, or on Twitter, tweet at us, make your Kyle Schwarber argument because I agree. I think it's pretty, pretty easily Arias given what he's doing, but I would love to hear the the prime Schwarber argument. And maybe I'm sure that there's some, some good reasoning behind it too. It's going to be like Philly cheesesteak 069 <laughs> saying we're idiots and that Kyle yeah. Schwarber would clear Luis Arias. And I cannot wait to interact. Yeah. Hertz fan two, four, five. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be something like that, but yeah. Eagles 2024 <laughs> champs. They're they scary. are scary. Last question. And we had to finish with this one, right? Now that we are in June and the Cardinals hold one of the worst records in MLB, will teams call about the availability of Paul Goldschmidt? And should the Cardinals look to sell at the deadline or retool to gear up for 2024? That comes from Emmett. I hope I said this right. McMenemy on Instagram. Yeah, it's Emmett McMenemy on Instagram. Okay. I at first shot this question down because I was like, no shot, they trade Goldie. And you said to me, well, then why don't we talk about it? Which is always the best rebuttal for, you know, two a guys podcast. that are <laughs> planning. Yeah, two guys that are planning on, um, you know, scoping out the podcast if what they want to talk about. So great rebuttal. And here we are. I think that Cardinals fans are understandably losing their goddamn minds. As they They're should, not, because it's horrible it's right horrible. now, and I understand. It's horrible. I think that they should potentially fire Ali fire Marmol. I think that they should consider a lot of things. The one thing they shouldn't consider is trading either of the future Hall of Famers on either corner. I know Goldschmidt maybe has a little bit more work to do. That's not the sake. That's not the point here, though. Those two guys, even though they're aging, are still playing really. And Arenado's already really heating up. Goldie is is Goldie. Are you? Do you think the Cardinals can be good next year, Peter? Of course, of course. So then why the hell would you trade Paul Goldschmidt? Even if you get a return, it's not going to be a life-changing return because he only has one-year control after this, and it's for $26 million, it's, which is a great deal for him. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get a haul of all hauls. It's going to be a good haul, but it's not going to be Juan Soto. So why would you do that? You're going to retool and get back to next year. So first of all, no, you're not trading Paul Goldschmidt. Second of all, we can answer the rest of the question, Peter, if you have anything else to add. But like, they should make trades. They should do stuff. We'll talk about that to wrap this up. But not trading Paul Goldschmidt, right? Quick story. And it's about a different team. So I'm listening to David Cohn on WFAN with, with Michael K. I don't know if it's WFAN. It's Michael K. show. And he was asked, are you surprised that Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets, has not fired Billy Epler or filed fired Buck Showalter and David Cohn gave a really good answer and he said Steve Cohen knows about random variants that all he can do is push his chips in the middle and let the poker hand play right he knows that in one hand you could get two aces in the other hand you could get a seven and a two but that there's random variants he knows that he put a good team on the table 
and that there's going to be really bad, bad sure, stuff. Sometimes really you lose good the pocket stuff. aces. You sometimes lose the pocket you lose aces. the pocket aces. And that's what I feel like the Cardinals are doing right now. They're losing with two Kings against teams that have pocket aces. They still have a very good team. And the reason also about the Steve Cohen thing is that David Cohen said Steve Cohen knows about markets that they go up and they go down. It's kind of the same thing in gambling. So this can end up biting me in the ass. We're recording on Wednesday, June 14th. I bet on the Cardinals today against the San Francisco Giants. Anthony Descafani versus Jordan Montgomery. I think the betting market is now starting to fall on the St. Louis Cardinals as you hear them freaking out. You know, it's rock bottom. I even saw that bench clearing kind of incident, even though it's bench clearing. Like, bench dude, clear. it's so lame they, now. They, they, we're yeah. so desperate for, for, for fights that we call everything bench clearing. Exactly. Like, so when just... everyone stands up. So yeah. the, the Cardinals stood up out of the dugout and it created this little fuss and it does feel like rock bottom. Now is the point where at least as a betting man, I'm going to start to buy in on the Cardinals, right? Because I think this is rock bottom. 27 and 41 as we sit here today is rock bottom. Luckily, the Pirates lead the division a couple games yeah. over 500. You're not truly out of it. We talk about with the Guardians. They're 31 and 35 and two and a half games out. You are lucky that you're in a division where you can compete. Cardinals fans, take a good hard look at your roster. And I know it's been terrible. And I know guys have not been performing up to expectations. But are you shitting me? It's still one of the better rosters yeah. in the, all of Major League Baseball. The problem is starting pitching. If you are able to trade a Tyler O'Neill, who you could totally do in exchange for a Shane Bieber, and then you're right back into it. Go yeah. do that same kind of Quintana deal. Go do that same kind of Montgomery deal. You have all the pieces to do it. So no, should they blow it up? Absolutely not. But the reason I wanted to talk to you about the Goldie thing is I don't think it's insanity. Because, and only if, they go on more historic losing streaks. Like if we're saying, oh yeah, this is rock bottom, they lose 10 in a row. They go 5-15 and 15 over their next 20 games, and they're like way, way in the cellar. And, so, and you get on the phone with a contender that says, we are going to give you the freaking world for Paul Goldschmidt. Then it's like, all right, he is getting towards the end of his career, even though he is playing great. You need to blow us out of the water. A team says, we will blow it you out of the water and then some. I could understand listening. We say that all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to listen. I on, think in the right deal, anyone on planet Earth yeah, is available, I, but it has to be the right deal. But to answer the question, will they trade Paul Goldschmidt? I would say 99.99% .99 chance they don't. But there always is that 0.01, .01, and we see it in baseball all the time. So that would be my answer. I think the only move, I wouldn't do anything that – that puts the chips forward any further on this season, I would ride it out. I, the only move I would make would be a Tyler O'Neill because you know, he's not a part of your long-term future. He's, he's only under control. I think one more year after this year, Ollie Marmol really hates him. And you and want Ollie to Marmol, build around yeah. Ollie Marmol, right? John Mosellock. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only, I might fire him, but you look at next year, no matter how bad this season goes, if it's one of those situations where they can't climb all the way out of the hole that they dug themselves, fine. It's a fresh start next year. And it's a new hand to continue that that metaphor. I still feel good about the the, the St. Louis Cardinals. They're still probably the favorite to win the division, and they're going to sign somebody on the mound. They're going to do something. So I, I and again, you're going to get you're going to have Mason Wynn. That's going to be 
close to big league ready. You have other pieces that are going to be potentially big league ready. And Jordan Walker, hopefully takes a step forward and, and continues to get better and better, which he's looked better as of late. So I, I wouldn't do much. I would maybe make that small Tyler O'Neill for a decent arm move to try to bolster it a little bit this year and see what happens. But this team can be great next year, and I don't think we'd blink. I think this has been a really unfortunate year for a lot of reasons. A lot of things have gone wrong that we weren't sure about. Uh, totally why we're not there, but there's been a new catcher that disrupts things. No Yachty. I do think that that's a big factor. Contreras is playing the worst baseball he's played in his life. I think he's going to be better. I really do. I think they've really fucked with his head. So I, I, I don't think that the Cardinals should really do much at all. Do that one small move, maybe move Tyler O'Neill and call it a day and see what happens. This, you're lucky. You're, as you said, Peter, this is the weakest division. Like <laughs> It is a joke and they could find a way out of it. If not, the division's not going to be that great next year either. It'll be a little better. Some of these teams will be better, but the Brewers may be weaker. I'm still not fearing the Pirates yet. I'm not fearing some of these other teams, not even the Cubs. So they'll be fine for next year, but don't do anything crazy. I think the Cardinals have already learned the hard way of being reactionary. Things would have to go horribly wrong, way more horrible than they've already been. And I'm just going to bring it back to a card symbol for a second again. The Cardinals are playing blackjack right now, and they keep getting served 18, right? They keep getting a 10 and an 8, and the dealer keeps pulling up a king and an ace. They just keep getting 21 to death, right? You don't blow it up when you're getting an 18 every time, right? Still a good hand but they're just getting crushed. That's what I feel like the Cardinals are. They just keep getting in poker. You got pocket Kings. The other guy is pocket aces. You're at the blackjack table. You got 18 dealers got 21. That And that Seven. sucks. That yeah. is the worst place to be in because it's like Nolan Gorman, they put a good team. They Nolan put a good Arenado, team. Paul Goldschmidt, yeah. Brendan Donovan, dummy Edmund, Jordan. Wa- like, so many good players on this team. They added Contreras to it. We we were nervous about them being the runaway favorite to win the division, but nobody was saying this team would be bad. No, Nobody was saying this team would, would be anything but good. We thought they'd be good. Maybe not great because of the pitching, but good. So I'm with you. I mean, I don't think – they would have to legitimately lose 100 games for me to feel like they don't have a shot next year with this core. That's the only way. How did BetMGM know? Put him at minus 110 to open the they season. How did they, they know? They I mean, always know. They always, they always know. know. Only way I am out on the Cardinals for next year is if they lose 100 games. That's really it. That's the only, I, that's the only way. I, it's yeah. the only way that I can't fathom this team. So if they lose 99, you're, you're in? <laughs> no, I Talk to me then. Yeah, Talk I'm to just, me then. I'm just It'll being be real dickhead. close. It'll be real close. I think 95 plus will probably be what it is. Anything else before we wrap up? I think that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. We will be back on Friday, of course, hopefully with the three of us. Appreciate you guys all listening. Of course, this episode is brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks. That is BetMGM. Use promo code JustBaseball when you download. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or text. And then, of course, 21 plus or older in order to use BetMGM. Definitely go check out our server team. Absolutely free. You want to play fantasy baseball with us? Come join us. See if you can beat us. The link is in the episode description. But again, the best way to support this show, get yourself some Just Baseball merch. I'm rocking my hat. Arms rocking his polo. But of course, you can win some Just Baseball merch by just getting into our So Rare League. And if you don't want to spend a dime, you don't want to play fantasy baseball, you don't want to gamble, I don't really know. You just like listening to podcasts. Like, yeah, that's, love that's crazy. We love <laughs> you. If you could just rate and review five stars, whether it be on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, 
hit that subscribe button and comment. I want to see Philly fan four eight nine say yes. Luis Arise is ass and Kyle Schwarber clears him. I want to see that in those YouTube comments and also hit the like button. That's Arm. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you. Everybody.